The Lord be with you. So I have this curious problem where people don't believe I'm Mexican. Yeah? No, and, and I get it, right? Like, my skin tone doesn't do me any favors. I don't look the way most Americans think that most Mexicans look, yeah? And also, my name doesn't help, right? My name is Benjamin Francis Cordell Colahan, which doesn't sound Latino at all. And for most of my life, my Spanish was atrocious. And so I would tell people, oh, no, I'm, I'm Mexican, right? I'm a Mexican-American. And they would look at me and say, in what way are you Mexican? And the honest truth is I, I would struggle to answer this question myself. I, I didn't feel particularly Mexican. And part of the issue was certainly distance, right? My mom came from Mexico when she was a teenager to study here in the United States. My whole mom's side of my family has lived in Mexico basically my whole life. But there was a cultural and physical distance from that part of my family. I lived most of my life as a child in eastern Oregon. And in eastern Oregon, I lived in a town where actually half of my high school was also made up of fellow Mexican-Americans. But there was this cultural divide between me and most of them because, you see, most of the Mexican-Americans in my town were part of families who were there because they were migrant farm workers. Whereas my dad is a college professor, and so our lived reality, just day to day, was very different from each other. Most of the kids in the, Mexican, or in the high school that I listened to, most of the kids who were Mexican would listen to mariachi music, and though it breaks my mother's heart every time I say this, I cannot stand mariachi music. It just does nothing for me. Most of the Mexican-American kids in my high school, what they wanted to do after school was play soccer. What I wanted to do after school was play computer games. And so the kids I ended up hanging out with, despite the fact that half the school had the same heritage that I had, I ended up hanging out with the Anglo kids, the super white computer nerds. And as a result, people didn't think I was Latino. My friends were Anglo, I didn't consume any Mexican media, and it became this question of, well, in what way am I a Mexican? So much so that uh, in high school there was a party where I, I dressed up in early 20th century Mexican attire, and I look at this photo now and I think to myself, is this me honoring my Mexican heritage, or is this me wearing an offensive costume that's going to get me canceled someday? Yeah? Now, we hear today, Jesus has an encounter with a Canaanite woman. What you need to understand about the Canaanites is that when the Hebrew people left slavery in Egypt and arrived in the Promised Land, there were already people living in the Promised Land. Those people were Canaanites. And God says to the Hebrew people, don't mix with those Canaanites. Don't share their food, don't share their religious customs and their rituals, and definitely don't marry them. God says, the Canaanites don't follow my laws, so I want you to keep completely separate from them, even if you occupy the same physical space. Now today, Jesus interacts with one of these Canaanite women. And it's not just any Canaanite woman, it's a Canaanite mother. 
a mother of a daughter who is possessed by a demon. And when she sees Jesus, she cries out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon. This woman knows that she is of a different culture than Jesus. She's a Canaanite. By calling him son of David, she's acknowledging that he is Jewish. But she says, you are a son, and I have a daughter. We are both parts of families, and we may be from different cultures, but isn't the fact that we both have families enough? Can't we connect in this moment, and you give my daughter what she needs? My mom, God bless her, like this Canaanite woman, strove to convince me that just despite my cultural differences with my family, I could still have a connection with them. And so she would take me down to Mexico, and we would stay with my grandparents who lived down there, and she would introduce me to my aunts and my uncles and my cousins. But here's the thing. When this woman cries out to Jesus for help, what it says Jesus does is to ignore her. And that's what I would do with my family when I was down in Mexico. My mom would do all this work to take me on this trip. And my family would want to get to know me and talk to me. And I would just go into my room and I would read my American novels and I would play with my American toys and I would just sort of pretend that this whole Mexican culture and family and country outside my door wasn't there. But this Canaanite woman doesn't give up on Jesus. She keeps following him and his disciples, and she keeps shouting after them for help. And my mom did the same thing. Every single year, my mom would take me down to Mexico. And I think she realized that I didn't understand what value I should find in this experience, and so she made a point of trying to educate me about the beauty that is my heritage. She would take me to go see the monarch butterfly sanctuary in our home state where just literally every surface is covered with monarch butterflies in the winter. She took me to see the pyramids of Teotihuacan outside of Mexico City. She would take me to see the artwork of Diego Rivera, one of the great Mexican muralists. And because she knew that I didn't like mariachi music, she enrolled me in Las Conservatoria de las Rosas, the oldest conservatory in the Americas, which is located in my family's hometown of Morelia, Michoacán. And I will say, with all that experience, I began to see the beauty of Mexican culture. But even knowing all that beauty existed, when I was down in Mexico and my family would reach out to me and try to have a conversation, I would still pull away. I still wouldn't engage with them. And there were a couple reasons for that. One, I was always really mad that I had to leave behind my friends yeah, and, and go be with my family. No, no kid likes that. But two, it was so obvious to me that even though Mexican culture was beautiful, I wasn't a part of it. Right? I would, I would look at myself in comparison to the men in my family, and as a typical American teenager, I was wearing a, a t-shirt and shorts and tennis shoes, whereas the men in my family all had uh, button-up shirts and slacks and leather shoes. And, and when they would talk, if they would talk about TV or history or politics, they would refer to things that I had no frame of reference for, right? They would name people I had never even heard of. But even more than that, because my Spanish was so atrocious, 
I couldn't even meaningfully ask them to explain, right? I, I literally could not have a conversation of depth with my family. And so as often as they would reach out to me, I would pull back. I could be surrounded by Mexican culture, but it was obvious that I wasn't a part of it. And we hear today, Jesus, this woman keeps going after him, keeps trying to convince him, hey, I have a part of you. I am a part of your family. And Jesus keeps ignoring her. And and there comes this question of how much do we have to do to be a part of this family, to fit in? And throughout my life, I have been confronted with this question of identity, in part because our American society right now is obsessed with figuring out everyone's identities, yeah? So every single form we fill out, you're asked for your ethnicity, you're asked for your gender identity, you're asked for your sexual orientation, you're asked for your physical ability. And I, when I would get these forms, I would say to myself, well, sure, I'll check the Latino, Mexican-American box. And what would happen is I would find out that there are spaces and groups set aside just for people like me, and I would get invited, come be a part of this group for people who share your experience and your heritage, and I would show up in college, in seminary, even as a pastor now. I show up in these spaces, and I look around, and I see people who look at me with an expression that says, what are you doing here? You don't belong. And, and every time I have this experience, I have this moment where I have to decide, is it worth the effort for me to try to prove to everyone that I am indeed Mexican enough to be a part of this group, that I am Latino enough to belong in this space? And I figured, if I have to do that for my family in Mexico, that's just not worth it. Right? If I have to prove that I belong, the answer is, I don't. And you may not have had this same experience with your ethnicity, but my bet is, at some point, you've had this experience with whether or not you belong to God's family. I'm willing to bet, at some point, you've been in a space where you have felt the need to prove that you are sufficiently Christian to be in this space. Maybe you're talking to someone, and you hear them say something like, God is good, and you think to yourself, Oh, I've heard this once before. I'm supposed to say all the time. Yeah. And then if I say it again all the time, they'll say God is good back. And I can show that I belong. Or, or sometimes people just start saying things about how good God is. And you're like, I'm supposed to start saying amen right now. Right? Amen. Yeah. I, I'm with you right now. Or, or maybe you have this moment where people are starting to tell when they experienced Jesus for the first time, when they knew the love of God in their lives, and you say to yourself, I was baptized a Lutheran as a baby. I've never not known the love of God, so maybe I just need to make up a story to say, oh yes, definitely, I fit in here too. And the fear is that if you can't show your credentials, that you can't show you really do belong to this family, what you'll hear is what Jesus says to his disciples when they ask Jesus to send this woman away because she keeps bugging them. And what Jesus says is, I have only been sent to care for the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is saying, my job is only to take care of the Jewish people. She's not one of them. She's not part of our family. And so 
she's not part of our problem. I don't have to help her. But in response to that, what the woman does is throw herself at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, help me. She begs him for help in that moment. And Jesus responds by saying, It is not food, not fair, to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, I want to be clear. Dogs, under Jewish law, are unclean. Yeah? They're unclean, and even to this day, Orthodox Jewish families don't keep dogs as pets. They're an unclean animal. You don't have that in your house. And when the Bible talks about dogs, it usually talks about dogs in the context of uh, terror and destructions. Dogs are described as the animals that eat corpses in the street when everything else is dead. Yeah? Hi. Hi, Jude. Good to see you. So Jesus is calling this woman and her child in need of help a dog. He is calling her unclean. But the woman responds by saying, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, once again, right, in Jewish culture, there are no dogs under their master's table because dogs are unclean. You don't put them anywhere near the table. However, in Canaanite culture, in this woman's culture, dogs were a beloved part of the family valued for their loyalty. This woman is describing the dog from her own cultural perspective, on her own cultural terms, and saying dogs have a place in the family. Come on, Jesus. And what Jesus has done just before his interaction with this woman is been told by the Pharisees that Jesus isn't living up to Jewish law because he doesn't have his disciples wash their hands before they eat. And washing their hands is a ritual tradition within the Jewish custom. And Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about this, guys, because I want to reframe your tradition for you. What makes someone clean or unclean isn't what goes into their mouth. It's what comes out of their mouth, because what comes out of their mouth comes from their heart. It's the thoughts. It's the desires. It's the intentions in your heart. That's what makes you clean or unclean. And having framed for his disciples Jewish tradition in this way, Jesus then takes them on a trip, just like my mom would take me on a trip. He takes them in on a trip out of their country, and he takes them to Tyre and Sidon. It's like a 40-mile walk out of their way. And Tyre and Sidon is a Canaanite-majority country. Right? You're going to find Canaanites there, just like when my mom takes me to Mexico, I'm going to find Mexicans there. That's just how it works. And he goes there for one thing and one thing only which is to have an encounter with this woman. As soon as Jesus has an encounter with this woman, he walks 40 miles back home. So let's be clear, he's doing this intentionally. And in his encounter with this woman, whom Jewish tradition has declared unclean, what comes out of this woman's mouth are words of love for her daughter. Words of care for an animal that she describes as a noble creature of God's creation. What comes out of this woman's mouth is faith. Faith in who Jesus is. 
by all the standards that Jesus has just laid out to his disciples about who is clean and who is unclean, this woman has just proved that she is clean based not what goes into her mouth, not the food she eats or the rituals that she carries out, but what is in her heart, her love and her faith. That is what makes her clean. And it's fascinating because the faith that she has in her heart, it's not in her identity. It's not in her worth to receive God's mercy, right? She doesn't argue with Jesus about whether or not she's a dog. No, the faith she has is in God's identity, is in God's mercy. She may not be good enough to receive God's mercy, but she knows that God is good enough to give her mercy. She may be a dog, but she knows that God is a God who makes sure even the dogs have something to eat. We hear Paul write to the Romans today. And Paul is finishing off a three-chapter segment where he's trying to make sense of the fact that God's own people, the Jewish people, for whatever reason, aren't following Jesus. And he says, does this mean that God has abandoned God's people? And he says, no, no way. God has made a promise to the Jewish people to be their God and that they will be his people. And God doesn't go back on his promises. And he says, so what this means is, if the Jewish people are God's people, not because they have done what they needed to do or were supposed to do, but simply because God is merciful to them, well, then our relationship and our place with God doesn't depend on our righteousness. It depends on God's mercy. God showed mercy to the Jewish people because they haven't followed Jesus. They are still God's people. You Gentiles, God is going to show mercy to you as well. Even though you don't follow God's law, right? You eat pork and you don't get circumcised, it's okay. God's mercy is for you. says every single one of us has been imprisoned in sin so that God can show mercy to every single one of us. When Jesus hears this woman speak of the love she has for her daughter and the faith that she has in her heart in that moment, Jesus has to recognize that what is in her heart is the same as what is in his heart. That she has a faith that she belongs to Jesus' family, not because of who she is, but because of who God is. And so, Jesus, in front of his disciples, in front of Peter, who just this last week, he said to Peter, right, you of little faith, now Jesus says to this woman, how great is your faith? Let it be as you desire. And he heals her daughter. And in so doing, Jesus shows to his disciples that this woman who they thought was unclean is in fact a member of their family. That she belongs. Because what makes someone a member of your family is not the color of their skin or the language they speak or their national identity. What makes someone a member of your family is the love you share in your heart. As a kid, I didn't understand that. But my family did, which is why time after time I would keep going down there and I would pull back from them and they would keep reaching out to me until finally, after I had graduated from college, I went and visited my family. And they knew in college I did a whole bunch of theater. And so they said, you know, your great-grandfather and your grandfather helped build a theater in our town. We want to show it to you. And so they took me to this theater and there's a stage up on the theater and they said, 
Ben, why don't you go up on stage and give us a performance of something? And I said, I, no. But I said, okay, here's what I'll do. Why don't you come up on stage with me, and I know a game we can play that doesn't require any language. Silly theater games that involve grabbing each other's thumbs and trying to make triangles with each other and making silly animal noises. And so I have my, my uncles and my aunts uh, hopping around like frogs and clucking like chickens. And I realized in that moment... This family really does love me, right? This family is willing to make fools of themselves to have a relationship with me, a relationship that is based not on all the great things I've done for them throughout my life, but on their mercy for me, on the love they have for me. And that experience inspired me to say, I'm a member of this family not because I am sufficiently Mexican. I am a member of this family because they love me. And because I am a member of this family which happens to be Mexican, well, maybe I can claim my Mexican identity without shame or embarrassment that I am insufficient. And so as a result, uh, in seminary, I checked off the box that said, I'm Mexican-American, I'm willing to do Latino ministry. And the Holy Spirit said, great, we're going to send you to Brooklyn and you're going to be the pastor of a Spanish-speaking congregation. And man, was that a hard learning curve. If my Spanish wasn't good enough to have a conversation with my family, what do you think it was like trying to preach on a Sunday, yeah? But praise God, my family gave me help week after week, helping me get my sermons up to snuff so I could preach. And as a result, my Spanish, when I was in Brooklyn, got the best that's ever been. And then I was able to go back to Mexico and meet up with my family and have those conversations I was missing out on for decades to discover who these people were and why they were so interested in me in the first place. And now I get to go down there with my wife and my daughter, who, you know, we stand out sometimes. <laughs> but we belong. We belong not because we're sufficiently Mexican. We belong because they love us sufficiently. And that's how it is with us and God. That's how it is every single time. We live in a culture right now that's obsessed with identity. That wants each and every one of us to figure out what our identity is and how it's different from everyone else's so that we can find the little group that we fit into. And I am convinced so many of the culture wars in our society exist because we believe this lie. That we have to be sufficiently part of a certain identity to find our group and to tell people that we belong to that group. We have to tell them we're not part of that group. And so we make these divisions between ourselves. But the truth is, we don't have to figure out who we are to figure out where we fit in. Because we fit into God's family not because of who we are. We fit into God's family because of who God is. God has made each of us unique. And God has made each and every one of us family with a place where we belong. And what that means is, our confidence in our belonging can give us the freedom to celebrate our uniqueness and our diversity, which means, yes, we can celebrate, hey, uh, maybe I have Mexican heritage, and so maybe I'm going to celebrate the Virgin of Guadalupe this year, but maybe my family also has Swedish heritage, so we're going to celebrate St. Lucia Day this year, right? Maybe uh, I can't stand mariachi music, but that's okay, God has given us beautiful Celtic music or merengue. 
to say, maybe I can enjoy German bratwurst, but I can also discover my siblings in Christ's love for dumplings from China. Maybe I can practice speaking Portuguese that some of my ancestors spoke once, or maybe I can learn a new language of Swahili. Not because I have anything to prove by doing these things, but because I know I am part of such a vast family in Christ, and through these things I can get to know them better, and together we can share the beauty of this family that God has given us. May we know where we belong in God's family. And may we show each other mercy as God shows each and every one of us. Amen.